Well, good morning, church. I am Patty Connolly, one of the pastors here, and it is my joy and privilege to share the word with you this morning. Uh, I just want to encourage you to go to Gathering on the Chapel afterwards. Uh, Jason and Daylin, it is good to have you with us with your children. Uh, Jason was instrumental in getting me appointed here, so you can either go up to him and thank him, or uh, you can fuss at him. But I assure you, it was done in ink, so you, you can't do a thing about it. So, the, if I were to ask you this morning, what two stories you remember about David? It would be David and Goliath, and David and Bathsheba. Well, today we're gonna talk about David and Bathsheba. One of those stories was a high, and one was a, a low. So, this summer, we have reviewed the life of David, and we've talked about his opportunity to slay Saul, not once, but twice. We have talked about Goliath. We have talked about Jonathan and his son, Mephibosheth. But today we are going to talk about David and Bathsheba. And I'm always curious why this story was put in the Bible because David is on a high. We've talked about how good David has been, how honorable he's in. And then all of a sudden we have this story. So I am going to read you, to you from 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 13. This is sort of the end of the story, but we'll back up and recap for you. So hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan, Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, 
I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now let's recap what has gone on here before this passage of scripture. David has sent his troops into the battlefield. Now we're not sure why David stays behind. It could be he was too important to go, or we also know that he was more mature and a little older. So he may have decided to let the young people go and go out there and fight the battles. But either way, it's in the evening and David is walking in the palace. And he's walking on the roof looking at all God has given to him. And he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And he says, gotta have her. So he asks, who is this woman? She is married. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now Uriah is a general. He is a powerful leader in his army, so he knows who Uriah is. And yet, knowing she's married and whose wife he is, he sends for her. He takes her into his bed, he sleeps with her, and then he sends her on her way. Now notice the scripture does not say he wanted a new wife, he had plenty of wives. He wanted a relationship, no. He used her, sent her home, one and done, we think. Later on, she sends word back, she's pregnant. Uh-oh, we got a problem. So David says, mm-hmm. I'll bring Uriah in from the battlefield, send him to his wife. They will sleep together, the baby will be deemed his, we're all good, thank you very much. Well, Uriah comes and he's an honorable man and he doesn't go home. He sleeps on the palace steps. So when David asked him the next day, why didn't you go into your house? He said, my men are out in the battlefield and the Lord's ark is in a tent. How can I sleep in the comfort of my home? So David says, okay, we're gonna have a party and I'm gonna get you drunk. So he gets him drunk and that night sends him again home. Uriah again sleeps on the palace battlefield, on the, on the palace steps. So David said, this is not working. So I've got to do something about all this before it shows that Bathsheba is pregnant. So he sends Uriah back into battle and he says, sends Joab, the leader of the battle, to say, when Uriah gets close to the battle, step back and let him get killed. And that's what happens. Uriah rushes the city wall of the, of the city that they are attacking. People drop back and Uriah is killed. When David is told about this, he says, well, that's 
just the spoils of war. These things happen. And so after Bathsheba finishes her time of mourning, which is about 30 days, he sends for her, he marries her, the king's honor is preserved, all things are good, he thinks. But God knows. Now this reminds me of a word that I learned when I was a pastor in West Virginia. Uh, there is a word that they use. We, we uh, Ken and I co-pastored a very small church in L.A. Now, in Ed's term, that's Lower Alabama. In my area, it's called Logan area. And if you've ever been or passed through Logan, West Virginia, it is a very rural area. Beautiful, loving people. But they have their own sayings, like we have here. For example, in West Virginia, you don't hear about a seasonal resident. We stay put. We don't go anywhere. But you people go places when it gets cold. We don't. Well, they had this term in, well, have you talked or seen so-and-so? Yeah, he's been schwarping again. That word is schwarping, S-H-W-A-R-P-I-N. There is no G on it. Schwarping. Have you seen Fred lately? Well, Fred's been schwarping. It's a shame. <laughs> so we finally ask our lay leader, a very sweet man by the name of Bill, what is schwarping? Schwarping is being up to no good. It's messing around. It's being where you shouldn't be. So I'm here to tell you King David was schwarping. <laughs> All right? So you'll remember that. So, the prophet Nathan comes along and he knows about David's schwarping, and he comes and he crafts a nice little parable. Now, even though Nathan is God's prophet, he can't go to the king and say, you know, you really screwed up here. He's got to sort of gingerly get it in there. So he crafts this nice little story about this man who owns this sweet little lamb, and a rich man steals that sweet little lamb from him for his dinner. Now this angers David because this is wrong. This shouldn't happen. And then Nathan says, you are the man. And David realizes what he's done. And he says, I have sinned against God. Now there's a lot more to this story and I will leave it to you to read it on your own. But it is not a romance like movies and books have portrayed it. There is a movie from the 1940s about David and Bathsheba that says that Uriah was a mean man and he was mean to Bathsheba and David came in and rescued her and everything was wonderful. No, this is not Romeo and Juliet. This did not have really good ending because of David's sin. So again, I ask you, why is this story in the Bible? I think it's for several reasons. And the first one is because David used his power to get what he wanted. 
power used selfishly can have terrible results, not only for the people affected, but for the person wielding the power. Did you notice that David said he had sinned against God? Well, he had sinned against a lot of people, but why against God? Because he was playing God. He was playing God. Eugene Peterson in his book, Leap Over the Wall, it's a story of David, which I encourage you to get. David was, Eugene says that David was taking God's place. By playing God, he ruled over Bathsheba, changed the course of her life and Uriah's, and if you read on, the course of his own children. By playing God, David lived in the illusion that he was autonomous and he was self-sufficient. Powerful people in powerful positions often imagine they can define reality on their own terms, but this is not the case. And it is certainly not the case for David. This story demonstrates how dangerous power is if we use it selfishly. And we've all done it. We've all been in a position of power, whether it's our jobs, our family, our church, even our faith. We have been in positions of power. And we need to remember that it is a dangerous thing but that Micah 6, 8 tells us to walk humbly with our God, and that will keep us in check. It also reminds us that we need to pray for our leaders every day, because power is precarious. It's a fine line, and we need to pray for our leaders who are walking that line every day. The second reason, I think, is because God wants us to know that what is done supposedly in secret is not hidden. Luke 8, 17, Jesus said, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will be not known or brought out in the open. So I want you to think a minute. What would happen if we had to take a lie detector test periodically, like ex-offenders do? Ken shared this with me yesterday, that one, of, one part of sentence uh, folks get when they uh, are sentenced to prison or when they're sentenced to go out is they have to have lie detector tests, maybe monthly. What questions would they ask that you would rather they not ask? You know, there are things in our lives we'd never not, we'd not like to be told. But God does lead a lie detector. He sees everything. So everything we have done, he's already seen. So why try to hide it? But I think the big reason that this story is in the Bible is that it's one of forgiveness. God's forgiveness. David made a royal mess, and, in, and excuse the pun, but he did, of everything. He made a mess of his life, and he made a mess of others around him. 
Later scriptures will tell us the sword will not leave his household because of his offenses. And that played out in his children, especially in his son Absalom that we're going to talk about next week. His children became corrupt and they even fought with each other over his throne. David said, I have sinned against God. And God could have said, yeah, you did, and struck him dead. But he didn't. David repented and confessed his sin, and God spared his life and did not turn his back on David. I want, you to, I want to read to you a part of David's confession, and the full confession is in Psalm 51. David wrote this when he was confronted with his sin. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 and 10 to 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, David was saying the worst thing that could happen if it was God abandoned him, if God withdrew his presence. But that's not the God David serves, and that's not the God we serve. 1 John 1, 9 to 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does not want to abandon us, but rather to clean us up, heal us up, and put us again in right standing. There is no mistake that is too big for God to forgive. There is no mess too big that God can't help us clean up. Now notice I said, God will help us clean up our messes. Forgiveness is not a get out of jail card free. You still have the consequences of your sin. God will walk through this and will help you clean it up, but he will not sweep it under the rugs so nobody sees it. That's what I think is the main reason this story is in the Bible. Not to make David look bad, but rather to show that David, like the rest of us, is quite human and very susceptible to sin. David was subject to using his power for his own benefit, thinking that what is done in secret stays there, and failing to recognize the sin until he was confronted. But more importantly, I believe this is to show how God does not abandon anyone, regardless of what has happened 
what has been caused or what major mistake they have made. And God doesn't say, yes, I forgive you, but you're on your own to straighten it out. God says, I forgive you, and I will still walk with you. The road's going to be rough, but I will be with you. So as we think about David and the story of Bathsheba this morning, what speaks to you? Do you have something in your life that you regret? And you're sure God would not forgive you for it. I assure you that's wrong. Have you used your influence or power to get your own way? Hurting others? Causing pain? Have we been playing God with our lives or other people's lives? How is God speaking to you today? God is a God of forgiveness and patience, and he's waiting for us to repent and turn back. All you have to do is confess and repent, and scripture assures us we are forgiven. The next part of the journey may be a little rough, but God will walk with you through it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.